0: Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
2: The Large Nerdron Collider Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
3: Hey everybody, welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider Podcast, a podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Caston, and with me as always is looking sharp in the studio, Jonathan Strickland. I'm not in my house. It's, it's... Jarring? Not in a bad way, just in a like I'm a creature of of repetition. So
2: <laughs> Yeah. So seeing like like sheets of foam behind my head are is a little it's it throws you off.
3: Yeah, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine.
2: I had to come into the studio for unrelated reasons and uh just was one of those things where it made more sense to record from here than to try and rush home and set everything up there. So uh same great show. Just a slightly different location for me. Probably sounds a little different. I'm also recording on a different microphone than I usually use. So uh, for all those out there who, like Ariel, are creatures of habit, uh, do, not, do not worry. Do not fear. Your beloved show is still here. And that means that I have a question for Ariel. Okay, uh, Ariel, here's your question. What is your favorite amusement park ride?
3: I think that would be...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Stall for time. Stall
3: for time. Uh, No, I think that for me... Oh, gosh. Well, it's changed recently. It has changed recently. So it used to be the Men in Black ride at Universal Studios, Orlando. Just because I liked the video game aspect and the the idea that you could mess with the opposing team, uh, mm. Tower of Terror is really really great. They're all like Universal and Disney rides. Uh, Tower of Terror is really great, but I think the most amazing experience that I've ever had at a Disney park was Rise of the Resistance at Galaxy's Edge in Florida. That was it's a it's a Star Wars ride. It's the ride itself is cool, but just everything surrounding the ride is really amazing. And if you avoid spoilers before going on it, it's even it's just like mind boggling. So that is my favorite amusement ride. If you're going to go like Six Flags or something like that, then it's the Batman. It's a, a roller coaster where your feet hang down and every once in a while they make it go backwards and it's really uncomfortable, but it's also fun. Uh, what about you, Jonathan?
2: Uh, I'm a Pirates of the Caribbean guy still. Really? through and through yeah pirates of the caribbean and haunted mansion are probably my two favorite rides and um one day i might say pirates and the next day i might say haunted mansion but those are my two favorites even though i've ridden That's them a billion times each um tower of terror is good i actually prefer the guardians of the galaxy version which is at disneyland um well, i think it's it's uh it's pretty good pirates of the caribbean is better in disneyland too i say that as someone who is a hardcore fan of disney world i mean that's like my home park but yeah i still have to admit that that pirates is better at disneyland i think haunted mansion i i think i prefer that at disney world the disneyland layout makes more sense but the theming at disney world i prefer. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I think the Guardians, like, you need to ride the Guardians version. Not that it's, like, the ride itself is still the same as Tower of Terror. It's not like they could change that. But the Mm -hmm. effects and the soundtrack and all the jokes and stuff, it's just fun. It's a fun ride.
3: Um, I hope to make it out to California to go to Disneyland someday. It's just an expensive trip to go to an expensive theme park. Uh, It's interesting, though, because I never, when someone asks, what's your favorite ride? I never think of the ones that aren't, like thrill rides and it's ridiculous because as a child i hated thrill rides i went on the great white uh woody or so great great the great white whatever it was called roller coaster up in new hampshire when i was four and my parents were like are you sure and i was like yep i'm sure i'm not even gonna scream and i didn't but i hated roller coasters for a very very long time after that um but yeah I think if you're going water ride, though, the best water rides that I have experienced have been at Universal Studios Orlando. The Popeye Rapid Rivers is a lot of fun. It's long. It's like people interact with you. it It's just got a bunch of stuff that I don't normally experience on Rapid Rivers. And then their Deadly do Falls, which is like a log flume, is also a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I've never ridden those because I don't like walking around in wet jeans. And um so I've never I need to bring like a change of clothes to Universal and finally ride those cuz I've never been on those. Um I I did ride the Star Wars ride. Uh I appreciated it from a technical level. I will say it that. I'll say that way.
3: Oh, did you run into technical difficulties because that ride is very prone to them?
2: I did not. There were no technical difficulties when I rode it. I just um I I think I think my love of Star Wars is extremely particular now. And if it falls outside of that narrow band of love for star Wars, I am just not going to enjoy myself. And that's on me.
3: I I got you. Okay. The, uh, the, the flying, the millennium Falcon was cool, but it's the other one that I like better. Um, But I can understand if you don't like it.
2: I mean, I agree. Like the flying, the millennium Falcon was a neat idea. Uh, not, I, I didn't enjoy the ride that much. I, I thought rise of the resistance was the better ride. I I just don't like the sequels. So the setting doesn't work for me.
3: Ah, Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I ignored most of that and just paid attention to the, the, the queue portion. The queue portion is really what I like about that ride, especially if you get good cast members.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When you go through like the, the, the transport and everything, it's really cool how they do that. Yeah. Well, Something else that's cool that we need to talk about is the news because there's a lot of it and there's some fun stuff in there.
3: Uh, The first of which is that we are getting a TV series based on the old 19, I think it's 27. Yeah, 1927 movie, Metropolis. You might go, what's Metropolis? If you haven't listened to our episode on old, like old sci-fi and fantasy films that people don't remember anymore. I mean, a lot of people remember Metropolis, to be fair. Uh, But it's it's one of the first like it's the first sci-fi I think of when I think of sci-fi. It's not the first sci-fi movie, but it's it's the first one that comes to my mind. And it's dystopian and there's uh, robots and things like that.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of iconic imagery from Metropolis that if you were to see a single frame from the movie you'd say oh yeah i recognize that i've seen that represented in other art or i've even seen references to it uh, incredibly influential film and now we're getting a series based off of it which should be really fascinating metropolis is a movie i i have seen it it's been a very long time since i watched it um uh, and even though it's not a very long movie uh, it is it is uh it's paced in a way that will make it feel a bit longer to modern audiences. It can be mm, a bit of like a challenge to get through. <laughs> just like the Batman. <laughs> Still haven't seen it. Still haven't seen it. Um, no, I'll, I'll, by the time by the time this episode goes live, maybe I will have seen it. But as of the recording, I have not. But yeah, uh, I'm excited to see what this is because, I mean, the original film, like I said, was really important in the history of mm-hmm. of uh, cinematic science fiction so yeah uh, i think you know and it's not it's not necessarily one that you know it's not like a well that people have gone to a ton of times obviously there's been tons of stuff influenced yeah. by metropolis but we haven't seen like a retelling
3: yeah um and and you might go if you've actually heard before us that metropolis is going to be a tv show well that was announced in march we missed it but we found out about it This week, because they're using Mandalorian tech for it, that the backdrop thing that we talked about where they're putting up like images of the background instead of just a green screen, Um, they're adopting that for Metropolis. It's also being worked on by the dude who did Mr. Robot. So uh, if you like that, you might like this.
2: And if you like video games, you may or may not like the next couple of stories we have because, (laughs) well, let's let's face it. You know, with a, with a few exceptions, uh, video game adaptations that go to series or movies haven't always turned out so great. Like, for every Mortal Kombat, you've got a Street Fighter. For every Sonic, you've got a Super Mario Brothers. So there's not not a perfect see- track record there.
3: But you see, there are moments of Street Fighter that are amazing because the actors just commit so hard. Uh, M Bison, the actor who plays M Bison, commits Raul so Julia. hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's just good in everything, you know. And but it was and his, like it was his
2: final film role. I yeah, so I can't hit it.
3: But uh, also, I like some of Super Mario Brothers. Some of you don't.
2: Don't shut It's terrible. It's terrible and you should feel bad. Anyway, the the first the first of our video game adaptation (laughs) stories is that we've heard updates about the rumored Minecraft film. Now there's been there's been an attempt to bring Minecraft to the movies for a while now, and it's passed Mm -hmm. through a couple of different hands. But the current person supposedly attached to star in a Minecraft film is my man, Jason Momoa. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, and I like what the Hollywood Reporter says about it. Like, he he seems like the perfect zany guy to stick into a pixelated world full of boxes. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what they said. Like, guy gets sucked into a video game. We don't know anything about the plot. I mean, yeah, this, this movie was supposed to come out in 2022 with the people who made Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and Rob McElhenney who... Uh, Jonathan and I both like he's he's uh, one of the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and it's the person who made Napoleon Dynamite which I'm not familiar with the other things that Jared Hess has done or if I am I'm not aware that he is the person that did them but I'm just trying to think about Jason Momoa in Napoleon Dynamite and I know he's a good actor but it's just kind of making my brain implode just a little bit
2: yeah uh, and, and for my part like You know, like you said, we don't know anything about the plot. We don't know if this is going to be like a Tron style story where Jason Momoa gets digitized and pulled into the world of Minecraft, or if he's just going to be playing a character that is in this Minecraft world. And that's just, that's just been his existence the whole time. We have no way of knowing. We know it's live action. We know it's live action. Yeah. So we know it's not a cartoon, but, but I mean, like there are a lot of different opportunities, obviously, like the Minecraft being such an open sandbox kind of experience really means that you've got a setting, you've got some creatures that you can play around with, but anything else like the sky's the limit as to what your story is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so linear that it's like a beat up game where you're just slowly moving to the right and punching bad guys that keep <laughs> coming after you over and over who the heck would make a game or make a well, movie based off a game like that.
3: Uh, apparently the creator of John Wick, and you segued out because I have many more thoughts on Minecraft, but I'll save them for after the podcast, um, <laughs> but that's okay. Yes. So we're getting a Streets of Rage movie from Derek Kolstad, who is the franchise creator of John Wick. Uh, and that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so because that's a em up game. I was telling Ariel before we started recording because you know Ariel, you've never played a Streets of Rage game, right?
3: I have not. No, I thought it yeah, was like Street Fighter, but you told me it's not.
2: No, it's. It, I would say it's more like Double Dragon in the sense, or or um, Bad Dudes. Like there were all these games that came out in the '80s and early '90s that were side-scrolling beat 'em up games where you you know you just you were trying to make it to the end of the level and then to an end of series of levels to end a storyline. But there's no deep gameplay here. It's just like you're just beating beating the snot out of people as you're making your way and then occasionally facing a boss. Uh, that That's how these games typically were structured, which is what makes me say, what the heck makes anyone think they can make a movie based on that. Although I say that, but when I think about it, that is kind of the structure of every 80s martial arts action flick. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe yeah. maybe it's going to have retro uh, appeal in it. And,
3: and vaguely, John Wick, what I want to see is uh, something between uh, Lethal Weapon and Birdman, because if it's a side scroller, it just needs to be a one continuous shot
2: movie. <laughs> and have nothing but jazz drums in the soundtrack the whole time. Jazz drums.
3: Yes, that that uh, highlight every time someone gets hit or punched or shot. Like, I think it's... Now this is the movie that I want. And if this is not the movie that it is, I'm going to be upset.
2: Uh, I mean, you, you did say, like, it's essentially just like John Wick. And now that I think about it, you are 100% correct. That is what John Wick is. It's just a side-scrolling beat-em-up with guns.
3: I guess it's it's the way for the the creator to make more John Wick if people are burnt out on John Wick, which yeah, maybe, I've only maybe. seen the first two.
2: Oh, I've seen I've seen all three at this point. Although I didn't see them in order, I saw the third one first. <laughs> mm. It's a bit weird, but um, yeah, I uh, I I don't know. Maybe it's also an attempt to have an action franchise that maybe stars an actor who is not in his fifties. Um, maybe who knows.
3: Although they might cast an actor who's in their 50s, and I think that's perfectly fine if they do. As <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't want to age out of Hollywood, so I don't want to wish other people aging out of Hollywood. But I do understand the, the desire for new talent. But I, I will admit something. Whenever someone talks about Double Dragon, I always have to confirm what movie I'm thinking of because sometimes I get it confused with The Last Dragon.
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Last Dragon is probably the best martial arts movie that's ever been made. Double Dragon is a travesty.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm aware of both of these things, but I always have to remind myself because their names are similar.
2: Well, while we go and deliver our pizza to Daddy Green's Pizza, you guys are going to take a quick (laughs) break, and we'll be right back.
1: This is it
3: that was some good pizza, pizza. Um, and we're back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're back, and we're here to talk about uh, a couple of other series and things that uh, that we've learned about. And um, some of it's really, really got me excited. Our first one is that the fact that we're going to get a Dead Boy Detectives series.
3: Yes. So if you aren't familiar with Dead Boy Detectives, because A lot of people are not. Uh, They are a a couple of dead boys with a living friend who kind of solve ghost stories, mysteries, things like that. They're they're dead boys and they're detectives. That's what it is. Uh, Neil Gaiman is one of the writers for it. It's a DC property. They showed up in the most recent... Was it the most recent season of Doom Patrol?
2: I believe so, yes.
3: Yeah. And they were absolutely delightful within the series. Um, I really enjoyed them. It's just another long line of Neil Gaiman things coming out and I'm I'm pretty excited about it.
2: Me too. And um, you know, having this sort of expansion of the Doom Patrol universe is exciting. There's one other reason that this series is really personally exciting to me, and that's because mm-hmm. the showrunner is somebody I know personally.
3: Oh, who is the sh- yeah. the showrunner? I missed it.
2: Steve Steve Yockey. So Steve Yockey, who's worked on several different series now, he's incredibly successful. I met Steve when he was the house manager for Dad's Garage Theater Company ah. back in the early 2000s. He used to work at Dad's Garage. In fact, Steve was the first person to specifically reserve seats for me and my wife to go and see shows. Like before anyone he would have our names on chairs whenever we would come to see shows. And um he really endeared himself to us. And we that's one of the reasons one of the many reasons we came to love the, the theater so much. And then mm-hmm. he eventually moved on and he was writing plays and then he moved out to Hollywood and started working on uh, lots of series and one of them being dead boy detectives. And uh, I'm so excited to see his work because he's incredibly talented, very smart, really entertaining. I know he's going to knock it out of the park. And so when you combine like the writing of Neil Gaiman and the creativity of Steve Yaki, I mean, I'm just I can't wait to see it.
3: Well, that is extra exciting. Uh, I hope they you know, maybe they'll film it here. Because they do film Doom Patrol here, and if they do that, maybe you'll get a chance to check up, uh, catch up with him.
2: That would be amazing. Uh, I, You know, who knows? Maybe my sister will have an in because she was in an episode of Doom Patrol.
3: She was, and she was brilliant. And you see how good I am at at refraining from asking you to give me an in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm not able to get in it. No, so
3: I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. In Hollywood. There is a lot of of networking that goes on that is a part of the business but I would not ever impose upon you to do that
2: because you're I my know, friend. I know. And and you know that if I ever had that leverage I would totally be using it all the time. So because mm-hmm. I have no scruples yeah. and am really eager to take advantage of any opportunity I have. So just know that I'm scrupulous.
3: Fair enough. But I am really excited about this. The one thing that's interesting to me is it doesn't look like they're using the same two actors to play the main characters that they did in Doom Patrol. It looks like they've recast the two dead boys.
2: Mm. So that's interesting. It is interesting. I wonder why that it might have been an availability thing. Who knows? But uh, we will keep our eyes out on that because it does sound like it's right up our alley. And um Who knows? Maybe the next thing will also be right up our alley, because just when we thought there couldn't be more podcasts out there competing with our amazing talent, here comes another one, and it's hosted by the most powerful superhero who was ever created.
3: Yes, we are getting a Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, Um, and there's a trailer out for it on YouTube which is yes. you know, an interesting place. It's, I mean, it's a reasonable place to have a, a podcast trailer, but at the same time, it's an audio format. Like, this is not a cartoon we're getting. It's not a live TV show. It's audio, yeah. so.
2: I, I will say, I, I was actually really jazzed to listen to this trailer mm-hmm. because I love the idea of a Squirrel Girl radio show, especially if it turns out that this version of Squirrel Girl is incorporated into the MCU. Yes. Though I don't think it will be because based upon the trailer, there's a voice of a character that is not the voice of the character that we've seen in the MCU. Hmm. The character's already shown up in the MCU, but it's a different voice. Um, I will say uh, the trailer did not, did not thrill me. I was, I was a little let down by it.
3: I thought it was cute. It gave me very like space ghost coast to coast sort of vibes.
2: To it, uh, it it felt like that, but less spontaneous. Like I almost always felt that Space Ghost was like ninety five percent improvised. This felt much more scripted, and like I could hear the script beats. Uh, but yeah. again, it was a trailer. It may be that when I listen to a full episode, it's a very different experience. It just it didn't feel. It didn't feel like a natural kind of conversation. It felt extremely scripted.
3: Gotcha. Now I can see that. I kind of thought maybe that's what they were going for. Um, I don't know how much. Well, I say I don't know how much uh, Marvel lets people improvise within their world. But I do actually know because uh, Thor Ragnarok was largely improvised. Uh, that being said, I will probably listen to the squirrel girl, the Unbeatable radio radio show and give it a shot.
2: Yeah. I'll probably give it a shot. And uh, my hope is that the actual episodes are probably a little more um, engaging than the trailer was because the trailer was really just to introduce the concept. It it wasn't, it didn't come across as like, here's some excerpts from the show. It was more like we're promoting the show and that yeah. you're not going to hear the same stuff in the episodes. And if that's the case, if you do have it where it's this radio show where it's just constantly supervillains calling in, uh, it could be a lot of fun. So I'm I'm hopeful. I will definitely check it out.
3: You know, uh, I know you said that one of the voice actors in it is not the live actor for MCU, which they did in in What If as well. But the voice of Squirrel Girl is Milana Vaintrub, who was supposed to be Squirrel Girl in the live action MCU before pandemic and then pandemic happened. And I don't know where any of that stands, but
2: yeah, she's perfect. Yeah, well, I I really hope that they do pull her in. Like my hope is that one of the many unnamed Marvel uh, projects is going to be like the West Coast Avengers where we get some of, or even the Midwest Avengers where we get some of the wackier characters.
3: (laughs) I mean, Great Lakes Avengers would be like, super wacky, but if they did West Coast, then they could tie Moon Knight into that because he did a stint with the West Coast Avengers.
2: Yes, Um, we don't know yet if Moon Knight's still going to be around by the time we get to the end of the series. There's been a lot of talk already that Oscar Isaac is not coming back to the MCU after this series, which is, uh, I hope that that's not true. And, um, or if it is true, I would rather people shut up about it so that it doesn't spoil things.
3: I hope it's not true. Like I could start thinking about it and I'm not gonna on how they could still have moon Knight If that did, if that happened, but he's, I I'm really enjoying the show. Like I'm still really enjoying the show. Um, Me too. I'm sad that it's such a short run. Uh, Real quick, before we go on to our third segment with our mashups, I know that you watched Spider-Man. I just want to get a quick, like thumbs up, thumbs down. Did you enjoy it?
2: Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. Gotcha. Do you know what I did love? What did you love? The Thor Love and Thunder teaser.
3: Oh, that's right. We have to talk about that before we go to break. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How could I forget? We got the trailer for Thor Love and Thunder, and it is so good.
2: And it's jam-packed, like every single shot. I even watched... So that, that it's a teaser trailer, right? So it lasts mm-hmm. like a minute and a half, something like that. And then immediately after that, I watched a video of people breaking down all the shots and all the stuff that's in all the shots. And those are like 11 minutes long. And you're like, when you have an 11 minute long video to dissect a minute and a half long trailer, <laughs> you know, you've, you know, you've struck a nerve and um, yeah. yeah, you get to see so much stuff in that trailer, including the fact that Zeus is in it. Like, they now go to Mm -hmm. Olympus. And also, uh, you get to see, for a brief second, you get to see uh, Thor, the new Thor, Mm -hmm. you know, Jane Foster Thor, and she looks great.
3: (laughs) You see, I I don't know what it is. I feel like maybe it's because they gave her blonde hair. It looked a little weird to me. Uh, but it like she she did have a very striking, like eye catching first appearance. And I think that's appropriate for Thor, you know, just just to be someone who immediately draws your attention. But the hair was throwing me off.
2: Well, that's the thing. Whosoever holds this hammer will have the power of Thor. And part of the power is amazing gold tresses.
3: Is that really is Thor just like a version of Samson? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I'll say this. They cut it off and he was fine.
2: <laughs> in the comic book, Jane Foster, when she becomes Thor, also ends up having blonde hair. So That's, <laughs> it's a okay. thing. That is true. Uh, that is true. One thing we didn't see that was interesting is we didn't get to see the bad guy. We didn't see Christian mm-hmm. Bale as as Gore, the god killer.
3: Yeah, we didn't see the bad guy. Of course, we didn't see Loki. I don't think we saw Loki. Um, no. Because.
2: But he's probably still lost in that other. Yes. Parallel yeah. dimension.
3: Yeah. Um, it looks really good. The song they play throughout the teaser is Sweet Child of Mine. And it is like the perfect song choice because it's both engaging and energizing while being uh, like, I don't want to say sappy. Sappy is not the right word, but like, y- you know, touching. And I feel like that's that's what the trailer was. It's it's Thor dealing with everything that he's been through thus
2: far. <laughs> I, I also think that uh, Taika Waititi and James Gunn have really got their finger on the pulse of selecting amazing soundtracks for their movies. Because, uh, of course, Thor Ragnarok obviously also had an amazing soundtrack. And obviously all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies do too. So they're just keeping it going. They're setting the bar pretty high. Uh, hopefully other directors will be able to rise to that challenge. Can't wait to see what Sam Raimi does with Doctor Strange. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that.
3: I know. Um, uh, we didn't talk about it, but they are playing that, uh, like, they're doing a Sam Raimi kind of, like, special at a certain theater that plays 35mm f- movies because they're going to show Doctor Strange in that way. It, I don't know. It's
2: it's Quentin Tarantino's new Beverly Cinema. It's where mm-hmm. Tarantino is, like, a hardcore fan of 35mm. He hates digital projection. And they are showing a special 35mm print of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness during a 35mm festival at that theater.
3: Which is pretty cool. But yes, I'm, I'm excited to see between his superhero work and his horror work, which is all, still fun. I'm very excited to see him combine the two.
2: Well, speaking of combining the two, when we come back, we will combine two different things to make something brand new. <music>
3: You, my friend, are on a, like, a Segway roll. You're rolling on that Segway.
2: Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is lean forward, and the Segway does the rest for you.
3: It's harder than it looks.
2: It does. I almost fell off the first time. I used to joke about that, and um, I've only ridden one once. And the biggest issue I had was, it was at uh, Disney World, actually, where we got a chance to ride at Epcot. And the problem is, When your first experience is with a big group of people and everyone is looking at you, uh, it really makes the experience much more difficult. I would have preferred to have had some private time to acquaint myself with the peculiarities of the Segway before before being pushed out into the limelight.
3: I got to ride one once. This is not what our mashup is about, people. But I got to ride one once, and it was at one of my old places of employment like one of the C-suite level people had a Segway and we had some like some people that we work with in and they were out in the parking lot and I walked out and they're like, do you want to try it? Come on, try it. You want to try it? And I was in a wrap dress and very high heels. So maybe that also made it a little bit more difficult because on high heels, you're already like tilting forward, like you're you're fighting not falling forward, right? Yeah, and now you're yeah. on a Segway in high heels. And so it just amplifies how much you have to lean forward to go. It was I mean it was fun but it was a train wreck.
2: Yeah. We found her 3 days later in Arkansas. <laughs> it's true. It's true.
3: It was fine. I like Arkansas. Well, let's talk
2: about let's talk about the things what we are mashing up together in this episode. Uh so um you want to take the classic one that Disney handled and I'll take the other one? Sure. So <laughs> our
3: first property is Beauty and the Beast which uh, the original classic story is there's a merchant. He has three daughters and <laughs> they <laughs> go a real old school. And they, he asks if they want anything from market and they say yes. And the, the two of the daughters are very vain and, and like worldly and they want a bunch of stuff. And the third daughter only wants a rose, but he can't find a rose and he gets lost and he goes to the beast house and he gets a rose. That's the original version of the story. And then it goes kind of similar, like he's, Belle has to go to take her dad's place at the Beast's mansion, and they fall in love, and blah 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 blah. Um, in the Disney version of that, there's like an antagonist. His name is Gaston, and he's evil. Um, he wants to marry Belle for the for like the, like, the status of it. I guess. I don't know. I don't well, know because
2: she, because she's the prettiest, and therefore, since she's the prettiest, he deserves to marry her because he's the he's the manliest man in the poor provincial town.
3: Yes, and then after Belle is in the Beast's castle and then she goes back to visit her sick father and she realizes she loves the Beast because the Beast is sick without her, then Gaston goes and storms the Beast's castle and tries to kill him. Um, the Disney version has a lot of really great music. Uh, <laughs> so that's Beauty and the Beast.
2: Yeah, and uh, our second our second property, was this a suggestion that we got?
3: Uh, what it was was my... I was playing D&D with some friends, and one of them made a comment about Beauty and the Beast Boy, and I said, I'm taking it. Yeah.
2: So now we're doing it. Okay. So Beast Beast Boy is our second mashup property. Also ties in with some stuff that we've talked about already. So Beast Boy is a DC character, DC Comics character, um, and was one of the members of Doom Patrol back in the late 60s, I want to say. Uh, the character is probably best known from the Teen Titans series. That's where mm-hmm. everyone's seen this character. Uh, His actual name is Garfield Logan, and in the comics, his origin story was that uh, his parents were scientists. Um, He ends up as a child catching a deadly disease, and the only creature that is immune to this deadly disease is a West African green monkey. So uh, the parents, the scientists, decide, hey, we'll save our son by turning him into a West African green monkey for a day and then changing him back. And uh, this does cure him, but it it also curses him. He is, uh, from that point forward, green, and he's capable of changing shape into any other animal, and he ends up taking on the, the name Beast Boy for a while, until he gets sick of that name and changes it to Changeling. Um, and there are a lot of different versions of Beast Boy, but like I said, I think most people will be familiar with the Teen Titans version of the character.
3: Yeah, I mean, I went with Teen Titans for my mashup. And Teen Titans Go! actually did a Doom Patrol. Uh, I don't know if it was a short or an episode where they brought in Elastigirl and uh, Mr. Negative and and others into cool. Teen Titans Go! Which is not a children's property at all. So that was fun.
2: Okay, so we are going to mash up Beauty and the Beast and Beast Boy. Uh, <laughs> if your title isn't Beauty and the Beast Boy, I don't know what it could be. It's not. Oh, wow. Well, then, do you want to go first and and hit me, or do you want me to go first? Sure. No, I'll go first. It's called Boy, What a Beast. Uh, Ah.
3: (laughs) One day, when the Teen Titans returned to their headquarters from spring break, something was different. And it wasn't that Cyborg had gotten extra vanity lights installed or that Starfire had tanned to an extra bright orange. It was Beast Boy. And he was so very different. He was tall, bulky, hairy, and not green. And he looked like no animal that the team had ever seen before. He kind of looked like a a mix of them. Starfire asked Beast Boy what was going on, but he looked confused at her and said, I'm not a boy, and stormed off into his room. Everyone assumed it was puberty, but being a kid's show, no one made a direct mention. The days to come were no better. And when the team was out fighting crime, Beast Boy, I mean, Beast, Boy No More, couldn't shapeshift. He was pretty strong, though. But the team was used to adapting, so adapt they did. That night, when all of their crime-fighting antics were over, however, the strangeness continued. First when Beast, just Beast, sat down and dug into a hearty rare steak. While Raven thought it was pretty funny, Beast had always been a vegetarian. But when his dishes got up and washed themselves and then the chair made a funny joke about his weight, the team were flabbergasted. Still, the team tried to understand because they were used to weird things. But then the inanimate objects of Titan Tower started talking to the rest of the team, distracting them from whatever tasks they were trying to do. And they had had enough. They all stormed into Beast's room, demanding an explanation. And then Beast begrudgingly explained that he had met this girl on spring break and that she was like super into reading fairy tales. And to show off, he tried to use some tech that they had confiscated from a bad guy and weren't supposed to use to bring the girl into a fairy tale for a date. But the machine backfired and... As confiscated tech that you aren't supposed to use often does, and it morphed Beast Boy and the girl into fairy tale characters. Beast Boy tried to reverse the machine and broke it. For the girl, she just ended up with a bit more whimsy and like forest animals flocking to her, so it wasn't so bad. But Beast Boy definitely got the end of the stick, being turned into Beauty's Beast. Cyborg said not to worry, he would start working on a solution, and he did. And in the meantime, Starfire offered to read Beast Boy a fairy tale to calm his nerves and the Titan Tower furniture joined in in song. Beast Boy wanted to be mad at this, but he actually kind of liked it. He was eventually turned to his normal self, but the girl was never found. You see, he was so busy trying to impress her that he never got her number. So everyone in Titan Tower lived happily ever after. But then cut to a post-credits scene, and we see the unnamed girl amassing an army of woodland creatures to gain revenge on Beast Boy and take over the world.
2: The end. Uh, first of all, you went meta and that's my job. Um, (laughs) no, it was really good. I really liked it the whole time. I was like, man, it's such a shame that Disney owns Marvel and not DC because there's no way we'll ever get this,
3: (laughs) (laughs) but I liked it.
2: I really, that, that sounds like it would be an amazing episode of teen Titans.
3: I, you know, I think they could do it. They'd have to be like slightly off the brand. They They could, they could, they could be slightly off-brand about it. They could go with the original
2: Beauty and the Beast. They would have to go far enough where you know what they're going for, but it's not, like, copying.
3: Yeah, but I mean, like, if you look at the original Beauty and the Beast, it's not so very different.
2: Yeah. And it isn't just Well, here's here's mine, and and I'm just calling it Beauty and the Beast Boy, and it goes like this. Garfield Logan has a problem. See, when he was young, he caught this rare disease that kills pretty much everything it infects except for West African green monkeys. So naturally, his mad scientist parents used science to turn Garfield into a monkey for a day, only some of it stuck. Anyway, that cured his disease, but his scientist parents both died shortly after returning to the poor provincial town that their massive castle looked out over. (laughs) So yeah, part of Garfield's problem is that he has these weird attributes like green skin, and a tendency to transform into animals. He also hates Mondays, and he loves lasagna. And it takes a while for the family servants to get used to Garfield, but they all look after him with affection, even when he gets a bit prankish. Anyway, one winter's day, his butler, Gearsworth, comes (laughs) to him and lets him know that an old woman is at the door of his castle, so he goes to see what's going on and the old lady begs him for shelter and offers up a single rose as compensation. Well, you know, Garfield actually has tons of rose bushes. The Logan grounds are covered with the things, but he sees right away that the old woman is in need and that she wants to at least try and pay for lodging. So he agrees. Wait, what? Says the old woman. I said, you're, you're welcome to stay. We've got plenty of room and food. Please come in. So Garfield's welcoming in the old woman. And she says, uh I might be at the wrong castle. Uh, let's see. And she shuffles around in her robe until she pulls out a piece of paper. Says here I'm supposed to teach a spoiled prince that it costs nothing to be kind. Oh, says Garfield. You'll be wanting the kid on the other hill, the other hill that overlooks the poor provincial town. I think his name is Adam. We've never really been clear on that. Like, maybe? But anyway, yeah, he's a real dick. Ah, my mistake, says the old woman. Sorry to bother you. No, no, no bother, says Garfield, and the old lady goes on her way. So skip ahead about a decade. So Garfield's still a a kind person. He mostly keeps to himself because his green appearance can really throw people off. Occasionally, he'll take the form of a bear or a stag or some other creature, and he does his best to help keep the people of the surrounding region safe. But he also tries to stay out of sight so he doesn't scare them. There are, however, plenty of legends in the area of kindly magical green creatures, and that they end up looking out for the people of this poor provincial town. There's also stories of a much more sinister, angry, vicious beast that lives one hill over. (laughs) One day, an eccentric inventor type, a guy named Maurice, is on his way to show off his latest invention, an automatic wood cutting machine. But he gets turned around and he comes to this fork in the road. And one fork leads off into a dark, scary wood. And the other looks bright and cheerful. And, you know, in this particular universe, he picks the cheerful way. However, a storm rolls in, and soon he finds himself stuck, and he has to leave his wagon behind, so he moves to walk on foot. He's leading his horse along an increasingly tricky path, and off to the side, he sees the Logan Castle, so he starts to try and make his way there for safety, but on the way, he hears the sound of wolves. His horse, frightened, makes a dash for it, and Maurice is left on his own, so he hurries up to the castle, and he bangs on the door, which is quickly opened by a pleasant-looking servant, Gearsworth who quickly ushers Maurice inside while he fetches the head of the house. So Garfield comes down and he welcomes Maurice, expresses concern. When he hears about Maurice's horse bolting, he says he will personally look into it and he heads right out into the storm. So Maurice is totally speechless because he never expected this kind of hospitality and the staff are happy to help him out and make him comfortable. So Garfield then goes outside, he turns into a horse himself, rushing through the woods on the trail of the escaped horse. And as he closes the gap between them, he hears the sounds of wolves. So he transforms again, this time into a big, powerful bear. And as the bear, he manages to scare off the wolves, convincing them not to chase after the horse. But in the uh, the whole kerfuffle, the horse manages to run away. And that horse rushes all the way back to the poor provincial town, and encounters the inventor's daughter, who has her own drama going on with a local meathead giving her goo-goo eyes and whatnot, but as smart as this woman is, she is unable to speak horse, so all she knows is that her father is missing, so she depends on the horse to bring her to him, and the horse does, so the young woman arrives at the castle the next day, and she too is welcomed inside. And there she is reunited with her father, who is none the worse for wear, and who in fact has enjoyed hospitality. Garfield introduces himself to the young woman, who is at first astonished to see that he is green, but before long she deduces that he is the source of all the legends of green mystical animals in the village, and moreover, she recognizes his compassion and desire to help others, so the two become best friends. Maurice and Belle, for that is the inventor's daughter's name, are able to retrieve Maurice's wagon. So they go together to go show it off, where Maurice's invention is the hit of the fair. He becomes incredibly wealthy after making just a small adjustment to his device. You see, his invention was designed to cut firewood, using a furnace and a boiler to provide the energy. Now, that doesn't quite catch the attention of the French public, but a slight tweak to turn it into a device that can more efficiently remove the aristocratic heads from aristocratic necks (laughs) goes over way better, and Maurice becomes famous for inventing the steam-powered guillotine. Belle, meanwhile, becomes a book publisher. She is famed for being able to foster authors and pick out the best stories before long libraries are... Oh, Oh, let me try that again. Beep! Before long Libraries across Europe are seeking out the books coming out of her publishing house. She maintains a close friendship with Garfield, and Maurice and Belle are frequent visitors to his castle. As for the poor provincial town, they continue to be largely unaware of Garfield's existence, but they also continue to tell the stories of the mysterious green animals that often come to their aid, and that it is customary to leave out a plate of steaming hot lasagna in thanks. Oh, and there are other stories as well. Stories about a cursed castle on the other hill, a castle forever haunted by a frightful beast, grown ever more angry and tortured, and poor servants who, through no fault of their own, are doomed to serve him until the end of their days, transformed into furniture. But let's forget about them and focus on the happy ending. The End!
3: I and loved that. I was gonna ask what about the other beast because he only made one tiny brief mention at the beginning, but you you brought it full circle. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you take the wrong path. <laughs>
3: that's, that's true. This would also make a great Teen Titans Go episode because <laughs> they go all over the place.
2: Uh, it was fun to write. I will say, this is one of those cases, Ariel, where I started writing uh, my mashup and I was probably about three pages into it. It ended up being only four pages long, uh, but I was about three pages into it and realized I didn't like where I was headed. And mm-hmm. I, it was right at the, it was right in the after like the midway part of page two where I felt that I had gone the wrong way. And I actually scrapped more than a page's worth of material and started from that point forward again and changed it because I, I felt like. What I was creating was too dark and not entertaining.
3: (laughs) Gotcha. Well, I like what came about. Just like in your story, you took the better path. Uh, And it was delightful.
2: I feel like like Belle ends up getting her own worth. Her worth is Mm -hmm. not defined by who she's married to. Maurice gets great success as an inventor of the guillotine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. That threw me. That threw me. And Beast Boy gets lasagna, so...
2: Yes, and Garfield gets lasagna. Yes, Uh, and he hates Mondays. All right, well, that that wraps up this episode of Large Nerd Collider, where all the jokes are bad, at least from me. If you would like to let us know, (laughs) if you'd like to let us know what your thoughts about a Beauty and the Beast Beast Boy crossover should be, or you have other ideas for crossovers, or just things you would like us to chat about, please reach out to us. You can send us an email. The address for the show is lnc at iheartmedia.com.
3: You can also reach out to us on social media and LNC, ooh, ooh, ah, woo boy, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. We are LNC underscore podcast and on Facebook and Instagram, we're Large NeurJone Collider. You'd think after a year of doing this, I would be able to say it correctly. And until next time, I'm Jonathan. Beastless Strickland. And I am Ariel. Be our guest, cast...